Welcome to Tech on Reg, the podcast that explores all things at the intersection of law, technology, and high-regulated industry. We're talking fintech, regtech, sextech, and more with thought leaders and entrepreneurs from around the world to share insights, trade viewpoints, and get us all thinking about responsible innovation. And here is your host, Dara Tukowski. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Tech on Reg. Today, all of my listeners have the very great pleasure of listening to what I think is going to be like, it's going to be like a wildly entertaining episode, guys. So, like, no pressure, but uh, (laughs) no pressure, Alyssa. So, right now, we have with us today, Alyssa Knight, recovering hacker and serial entrepreneur. Welcome to Check on Reg, Alyssa. Thank you, Dara. So I had an opportunity to meet Alyssa a few, what was it, like a month or two ago when it's, we were it, doing... It wasn't that long ago, yeah. It was like maybe... maybe Over the ago. summer. I, like, you know, we, we all have COVID brain. Pre-COVID. Like COVID time right now. Like, it was pre-COVID. Like t- time has no meaning. I don't know. But Alyssa and I met on an episode of Breaking Banks, um, and uh, she and I, like, I feel like I found, like, a kindred spirit animal oh yeah you're totally my spirit Um, animal (laughs) and uh from that moment on i was absolutely determined that that she had to come on so we could do a one-on-one episode uh, on reg for a lot of reasons other than the fact that like she's totally cool (laughs) and she has purple hair which i Uh, used to have so like much love and affection there Um, dull right now but She's also really, really, really goddamn smart. <laughs> this is the best introduction I've ever had. This is amazing. Thank you. Um, but I wouldn't say. But if I wouldn't say it, I didn't think it was true. Um, oh, so what we're talking about today, um, obviously, data security, data privacy, um, the rise uh, in mobile applications and technology, particularly in the healthcare sector, have left vulnerabilities all over the place. The COVID-19 pandemic hasn't taught us anything. Um, It's really the stress and importance on the ability to, you know, contact your healthcare professionals uh, remotely, the rise in telemedicine, and honestly, the reliance on telemedicine right now has been incredible. Wouldn't you say, Alyssa? Yeah. I mean, and it was surprising to me to find out in doing my vulnerability research that people are actually not only doing this for, you know, clinicians, for access to clinicians remotely, but also for mental care, like mental health care. So if you think about it, you know, in this whole um, shelter in place thing, people can't see their mental health uh, you know, physicians and, you know, it's not just clinicians, it's, it's also their psychologists, their therapists and social workers, yeah, therapy, um, social workers. I mean, also like teachers, Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and the stress and importance and honestly pressure that the entire pandemic has put on our reliance on these types of applications is one, something that needs to be paid a lot of attention to, but two, we also saw early on how, you know, Zoom sort of like got the crap kicked out of it as a result of its sort of security vulnerabilities. And everyone started freaking out about, you know, if we use these modes of communication, if we're so reliant on them, are they safe? And are our kids safe going to school remotely? And, you know, everyone sort of starts spiraling. Today, we're going to talk to Alyssa about 
all of the interesting research that she's doing into those vulnerabilities, particularly in the telemedicine and mobile healthcare space. Um, but she's gonna give us some like deets on like what we need to know and like what we need to be aware of, the research that she's doing and sort of where we go from here. I think that's a great plan. All right, so before we get into it, I want Alyssa to tell all of my listeners how she got her start. Yay! I love talking about myself. No, um, so uh, you know, started out doing this as a wee lass. Um, Yeah, I started hacking when I was thirteen. I always believed that you know what what could be made by humans can be broken by humans. You know that that we're not infallible, and um, you know that anything we make is going to have a way around it. And so the first network I hacked was actually a, a, a large retail restaurant chain. Uh, and then that was when I was around 14. And the second network I hacked was a government network and I got caught. They were waiting for me at school when I arrived at school and arrested me right there. In one moment went from the big nerd in school that people picked on to, you know, the coolest Instant person in street school. street cred. So Instant, much street cred. Instant street cred. It was like, oh my God. They're arresting her. She's what did she, you know, and they immediately, yeah, it's like, oh my God, that's amazing. I'm her friend. I'm her friend. And that's the person who was like always beating me up and stuff. But um, so, yeah, so that happened. And then the, the charges got dropped because of a technicality. Basically, the arresting agents uh, thought that I was over 18 or forgot that I was a minor and interrogated me without my parents there, without a lawyer there, as I'm sure you know is a, not a good thing. Um, big no-no. Big no-no. Big no-no. And the, as I'm sure you can understand what happened next, the district attorney didn't want to touch it didn't want anything, want, didn't want to go anywhere near it. And uh, the charges were dropped and I went to go work for the U.S. intelligence community in cyber warfare. Um, because they knew you were awesome. Because they knew I was awesome and that, you they know, you awesome. I could actually do it. So, uh, yeah, the government actually hires a lot of former hackers. It's a thing. Uh, but, uh, you know, realized very early on uh, working at the time as a salesperson uh, for Circuit City. If anyone can remember Circuit City, selling computers. I really remember the Circuit City. Circuit City and CompUSA. I, I realized that my life was going nowhere. You know, I was a high school dropout. You know, I was uh, forced to resign from school at the time. And, uh, you know, because they didn't want to call it an expulsion. It was just like, I was asked to leave and not come back. Um, and uh, realized my life wasn't going anywhere. So I I started my first company and uh, I was fortunate enough at the time for, during the dot-coms to, to be living in Silicon Valley at the time. Uh, my father was working for uh, Sun Microsystems. He was the head of marketing for Sun Micro. And uh, I had access to a lot of cool people in a great place and started a cybersecurity company, sold it to a public company in BC and then sold it to, started my second startup when I was 24, and then sold it when I was 27 to a public company in New Zealand. And then I've started my third startup, uh, Briar and Thorn, which is an MSSP. So uh, I like to say I'm a recovering hacker. Um, I'm still recovering. I don't think you ever fully recover from being a ah. hacker. Um, you never really lose that addiction. Uh, but In I'm, fact, you never fully recover from being a lawyer either. Uh, <laughs> there's like no such a, thing as a, a recovered lawyer, just recover. Nope. So, yeah, 12-step program that never It's happened. always a process. Yeah. So I'm a content creator. 
I create content for cybersecurity vendors now, uh, white papers, videos, um, infographics, whatever it may be, any kind of content based around their product where I hack it. I hack something and show the efficacy of their product by showing how their product uh, works uh, and why the CISO, why the buyer needs it through the through the lens of an adversary. So, you know, I'm, I'm doing some really cool things. I'm, you know, I'm writing books. I'm a published author. I just published my first book. I'm in the process of writing my second book. I'm writing a screenplay. I'm I'm a day trader. I'm, I'm just doing it Renaissance all. woman. Renaissance. Total, total renaissance woman. Um, well, let's, let's focus on some of the research that you're doing right now in terms of telemedicine sure. and the vulnerabilities uh, in mobile healthcare and hacking APIs. Yeah, uh, totally. Now, most of my listeners will know what an API is, but we sometimes use a lot of alphabet soup. So API, API, application programming language. All Interface. it is, guys, You're set of definitions and protocols for building and integrating application software. Totally. Right, Alyssa? Yeah. So basically, think about it this way. I've got, I've got, a, I've got, an, I love analogies. I have an analogy your, your, your audience is going to love. They're going to eat this up. No pun intended. So think, think of a waiter, right? A waiter at a restaurant. You and I are sitting at a table. We're picking stuff off the menu that we want to order and we tell the waiter what we want to eat. The waiter takes our order and translates it to the chefs in the back in the kitchen. The waiter in this case is the API. We are, and, and we're basically going to tell the waiter or tell the API what we want, right? We're the API consumer, right? We're consuming the food, we're consuming the data. The, the waiter is going to take that back to the kitchen, which is the API endpoint in this case that's providing the data, it's the API provider. And the chefs are going to make the food or make what we're requesting, and the waiter is going to bring it back to us uh, so we can eat it. Th- that is the best analogy of an API. The waiter is an API. The chefs in the kitchen are the API provider. We're the API consumer. That's all an API does is it takes requests from applications or devices or anything like a car or uh, anything, a mobile app, and it translates it and and it it talks to the backend for you of what you're requesting and provides that information. It provides that data. That's uh, That's what an API is. Well, I really like that analogy for a few reasons. Um, One, I think it sort of visualizes and demonstrates the importance of why that communication, both back and forth, needs to be, one, accurate, and two, secure and safe. Because any disruption in that sort of flow of information and communication um, either leaves the chef with really bad instructions and then you don't get what you want to eat, um, or your food comes back poisoned, right? Like, and we, and we don't want that either. Right. So talk to us about the research that you're doing right now, specifically with telemedicine and mobile health care. So I, I want to pay homage to my clients. In this case, uh, uh, Critical Blue is an API security company. They came to me and said, look, Alyssa, we would like you to create some content for our product and tell the world about it. It's this amazing stuff we're doing with API security. I said, yes, this is amazing. This is great. I love representing challenger brands. I love, um, you know, I love talking about cool new things. And uh, the, so they help secure APIs. Uh, what I'm doing is I'm downloading 30 M Health or mobile health apps, uh, like just like the applications we talked about in the beginning of the show, 
and uh, I'm hacking them. I'm, I'm working with numerous companies. There's several companies who we're working with. Uh, I've reverse engineered the mobile apps, found hard-coded API keys and tokens, bad stuff. Found all of these API secrets and all of these credentials and stuff hard-coded in the apps. Big no-no. Uh, but we're actually partnering with several of the mHealth companies who've come to us and said, hey, you know, we want to be part of this research. We want to show the world that we're secure. We want to show the world that we care about cybersecurity. Uh, and uh, we get a free pen test out of it, right? So uh, ah. we're working with mHealth companies to do this. Uh, and we're taking my research further by not only just you know, attacking the, the mobile app, but we are also attacking the API endpoints. And we're finding things like very common, which are called BOLA vulnerabilities, broken object level authorization, BOLA. A, a great analogy for that is if you're at a cocktail party and you go to the, the closet check-in and they're like, yes, Dara, we, would you like to check in your coat in your purse? And you say yes. And you give the, you give the coat, check your coat and purse. And uh, the person get the coat that gives you a number on a, on a ticket. And it's number 11 and you, you leave and you say, oh, wow, well, what if I were to change this one to a four? Now I've got number 14. So you go back to the closet and you say, hey, I want my purse and my coat. And you give them instead of 11, you give them 14. Now they give you the coat and purse for another person. And then you go back and you change that 14 to a 24. And you go back and the coat person gives you the coat and purse for number 24. That is broken object level authorization. You've authenticated because you have the ticket, but you're asking for something that doesn't belong to you you don't your your request that's a great analogy you're well done yeah. did you, was that did that What's just that happen amazing? right now that's on the fly the magic that is Alyssa Knight. that is the magic that is made now um, like to, i like i, I, I want to feel like i, I want to feel like i inspired you do bit. you okay. you are a huge you're, you're i'm your fangirl what can i say <laughs> um so uh yeah i can't take any credit for that uh, uh so but um it's a great analogy um and uh because it makes sense and and that's really what BOLA is, is I'm requesting data from the back end of the, you know, the API endpoint for data that doesn't belong to me. I've authenticated because I have an authentication token or a key, but I'm requesting data that doesn't belong to me that I shouldn't see, right? It's saying, oh yes, Alyssa, you have authenticated correctly. I, I You're authorized to be here. You're, I've authenticated you, but you're requesting data that I shouldn't necessarily see. I'm not authorized to see the question for example in the case of m health uh applications right other than sort of proving that they can why do hackers want this information so believe it or not your phi or protected healthcare information is actually worth more on the dark web than your credit card it's 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 worth so much more because of the fact that PHA contains way more data about you. Uh, it's really easy for a bank, and I'm sure Brett and some of the others on Provoke can talk about this. But you know, there's it's it's very easy for a bank to turn off your credit card if it's been compromised, right? Sure. They just yeah. send you one in the mail, new one in the mail, no big deal. They'll recover anything that that was not authorized, uh, and you're good to go. But how do you turn off easily? Turn off your social security number? How do you easily turn off your, your healthcare information of whether or not you have type 2 diabetes? How do you how do you undo or unsee all that if it's floating around on the dark web? It's really tough, uh, which is why it's worth so much money. Um, these individual things, and, and I've done, and it, this is actually in my research report that I did for Critical Blue, um, and their product is called Approve, uh, but it's basically allows... Um, 
uh, in the report, it actually, I did some research in the dark web and it talks about how much it's actually worth. And I have screenshots where it's actually worth 10 times the amount of a credit card number. It's crazy. It's worth so much per record. And uh, that's why they want it. That's why adversaries, because we're, we're in an age now where adversaries, where hackers, black hats don't care about defacing websites. That's not, that's not right. a thing anymore, right? It was 20 years ago, but not anymore. Now it's, how much money can I get for Dare's PHI? How much money can I get for if, if I you know execute ransomware on this network, on this hospital network, and and uh, they can't, they don't have backups, and they need that data. They will pay me a lot of money to get it. Dare, like what was it? A few weeks ago, a patient in Germany died because of ransomware. It was the first published known death of a, some uh, death of a patient as okay, a result. So of a- I totally did not know this. Shame oh on yeah. Like, it happened. Lay, lay, it, lay, lay it on me, Alyssa. What, what happened? So this patient goes to the hospital, the hospital gets hit with ransomware and they can't help her. They can't do anything for her. And she was in critical condition. They transported her to another hospital that wasn't affected by the ransomware dies in transit. Patient dies as a result of a hack. Now, now, now one could argue that it wasn't a direct cause of the hack, but they had to transport her when if they hadn't been hit by the ransomware, they, they would never have her. moved her. They yeah, would they have never have. moved her. So there's some hacker out there who is sitting there knowing they're responsible for the death of somebody of a patient because of ransomware that they infected with that network. Well, so I, times are changing. Uh, most certainly. So for, for those of us in the world who are becoming more and more reliant on these mobile health applications as a consumer, as a user, what should we be checking for? Like what, what do we need to know before we go ahead and like download that application or interact with a healthcare provider over a particular network? Like, are there questions that we should be asking? Are there like, where should we be pausing? And, you know, unfortunately, the onus on this is not on the patient. It's not on us as consumers. It really is on the uh, the M Health companies. It's it's on the app developers. Um, you know, sucks. It does. I, and, and unfortunately, there's no easy answer to that. Um, the, the the vulnerabilities that I'm finding is because of insecure code development. It's because developers are making mistakes from 20 years ago, like hard coding credentials and hard coding keys and, and apps. So let you. This is now like the second time you've mentioned sort of the hard coding um, of credentials uh, in an API, and I don't want to gloss over it because it's actually kind of a big deal, and I want listeners right. to understand what in fact that means. Okay. Yeah. So good question. So. If so, okay. I have my cell phone here, right? I've got my iPhone, and um, if I go on to, for example, if you go to here, you can see my apps, right? Uh, These apps can actually be extracted off my phone. I can go to social and see the Twitter app right there. I can extract that off my phone, and then download it to my computer, and then load it um, as a file in a decompiler in a, um, in a tool called mob SF. It basically, uh, takes the app and it, it, 
it it breaks it apart into its original form, which is the source code that the developers use to write the app, right? In this case, uh, in this research, it was an Android and it's an, they're Android apps. But you, you basically use this tool called APK Extractor to extract the app off of the Android as an APK file. I uploaded it to Google Drive. I downloaded it to my computer and I reverse engineered it with this tool called MobSF. It showed me the original code the developer wrote. In that code contains keys and credentials and other sensitive things that developers should not be hard coding into the code. There's things that the, the providers can do like obfuscate the code. They can, you know, there's white box encryption they can apply to it. Um, unfortunately, the developers aren't doing that. Uh, they could be using tools like from Approve, uh, Critical Blue, where they compile the app with the SDK and prevent you using certificate pinning, for example, uh, to only accept a certain certificate from the API instead of the fake certificate that I'm presenting in order to decrypt the SSL encrypted traffic. Um, basically, I'm inserting myself between the app and the API. So remember our analogy of the waiter and the, d- yeah. the dinner table? It's kind of like me putting on a mask to look like you and then kicking you out of the restaurant and then making the waiter per- think that I'm you giving you my order, but it's not really your order. I'm, I'm asking for your order and finding out what it is you ordered and, and they bring me the food instead of you because I look like you. That's kind yeah, of what so a man funny. in the I was going to make like a mask joke. Yeah. See, like, I was going to make like a mask joke right now, but I'm telling I, you, but I'll, I'll refrain. So, you know, that's basically what a, a man in the middle or a person in the middle attack is, is, is you insert yourself in the middle of the communication. So between the app on my phone and the API endpoint in the cloud, I'm inserting myself between that communication with my laptop. And I'm the, the, mobile, my, the mobile app thinks it's communicating with the API and it's really me. And the API thinks it's communicating with the mobile app and it's really me. So I'm, I'm able and the to- reason, And it the reason it's and able, it. and it reason it thinks, it thinks that is because of these hard coded credentials that were put in there. Well, I'm, I'm using the credentials to right. yeah authenticate with the API. Yeah. So I have the credentials. I have the API request because I'm decrypting the traffic. It's because of the fact that I'm presenting a fake certificate to the mobile app and the mobile app isn't, is it's saying, Oh uh, yeah, that's a certificate. I, uh, well, sure. I, I, have a, I have a dumb question. Yeah. I have a dumb question. Like wh- why are developers still doing that? Great question. I, you know, because security needs to shift left uh, and needs to be inserted into the code at development time, like compiled with an approved SDK um, and then published. But unfortunately, um, developers aren't doing that. And they're also not getting proper secure code training. Um, Either the organization isn't providing it or they're not doing it themselves. The app is getting published into the app marketplace and the security is being put in after production, after it's deployed. And it really needs to be, the security needs to be inserted at the time the code is being written, at the time the app is being made. It's so interesting because it's a very similar analogy to a lot of advice I give to my clients about how you need to employ your security 
policies before you go to market with your products, not pay for the compliance work afterwards. Or exactly. After, or after the government comes knocking you. at your door. Um, That's exactly so- what's happening. That's exactly what's happening. And, and they need to put those assurances in at the time it's being done versus later and saying, oops, sorry. You know, I, mean, I, I should, when I'm doing research like this, I shouldn't have any findings, right? I really shouldn't. I mean, there's always going to be findings, but you know, I mean, they shouldn't be as bad as they are. They're pretty bad. Um, well, uh, on a more positive note though, like hats off to the organizations that, you know, are working, are working with, with me, you yeah. know, that are working with critical blue and that, you know, have dedicated themselves to, you know, giving yeah. you and, and those like you access to yeah. expose those to themselves because unless without a real commitment to improvement, there's no reason for them to do that really. Right. So obviously that's trending trend they are trending in in the right direction in terms of their dedication to identifying the problems, implementing solutions. Otherwise they wouldn't give you access. So it's it's great to, to know that that work is being done. Yeah. Well, and, and things have changed a lot, right? Like 20 years ago, and as a lawyer, I'm sure you can understand or even remember this. Um, when when we, we had something called open disclosure or full disclosure, and we when we published vulnerabilities, th- at the time, we were threatened by lawyers who worked for these companies of being sued. Like publishing vulnerabilities, you know, I, I published published a vulnerability, the first vulnerability on hacking VPNs. And I spoke about black app briefings. They sent lawyers to my presentation. Uh, uh, you know, I was threatened. I lost my job. I was threatened with a lawsuit. Now times have changed. Now companies are participating in what are these things called bug bounties and they're paying money out for vulnerabilities you find for bugs you find. And it's a great thing, but it wasn't always like this. Like we were, we would have lawyers sent after us for that. Yeah. I I think that um, certainly from a legal perspective, every organization is going to have their own sort of separate sensitivities and confidentiality needs. We'll just, we'll just put it at that. Everyone's got different needs and companies (laughs) are needier than others. Um, You know, and there are so many things that go into play about like, is this going to affect shareholder, you know, opinions and, and prices and like, what's this going to do to us? But I think as the issues with cybersecurity um, and privacy have become really much more norm, like it's not a question anymore of like, if I'm going to get hacked, it's just about when, and it's, uh, and now it's much more about how a company responds. What right. It's more about, doing. exactly. And I was just having that conversation the other day that it really has turned into a question of when, and it's, it's really no longer a surprise if a comp, if a breach happens, it's how quickly did you detect it and how, and, and how was the response? MTTD, mean time to detection, MTTR, mean time to response consumers can't really do anything about it, right? Like, it's not like you can go into the app store and filter by mHealth apps that Alyssa has not hacked, you know? <laughs> like, or, you know, I would like to set a filter flag for the apps that Alyssa Knight has not hacked. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. Unfortunately, there's nothing really consumers can do. It's it's yeah. really, the, the onus really falls on the developers to write more secure code. And it's just not happening. So in your, in your opinion, it really comes down to sort of a training issue. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's a combination of things. It's it's sending your developers to secure code training, which you know, in in my experience in talking with a lot of the organizations, they don't do. They do the general security awareness training. Let's send all the employees to security awareness training, uh, so they know not to click on spearfoot. But they don't carve out budget to send their developers to secure code training. It's just, it's not something. Right. That, when ironically, like the 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 risk that you're talking about is far greater than like accidentally wiring a Nigerian prince some money. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's your code base. It's your product. It's what is going on every single mobile phone out there. It's your new edge, right? It's the organization's new perimeter and it's going to every single mobile phone out there or tablet. And it's not, you know, I I've, I've met some organizations where they're not even doing, basic static and dynamic code analysis of the apps you know there's it's multiple things that they need to be doing they need to send their their developers to secure code training they need to pen test their own apps they need to do you know static and dynamic code analysis of their apps they need to definitely compile their apps with SDKs like Approve. They need to secure their backend API endpoints. They need to be doing certificate pinning, which Approve can do. There's just a lot that they're not doing. And a lot of it is low-hanging fruit. A lot of this stuff that we're talking about, you can apply code obfuscation for free to your mobile app there. You don't even have to pay for a commercial off the shelf app. And they're not even doing those basic things. All right. So like app, app developers, like just go listen to Alyssa, like go do do those, go do those things. So you you can, you can keep consumer data safe. Um, so so easy, so easy for me to sit here and say that. Um, <laughs> Why aren't you doing it? Just write a line of code. Just like, to- just totally go do that. Just totally um, go do that. So yeah, uh, before we, before uh, I'm, I'm so upset, like we only have, we're going to have to come back and do follow-up episodes. Um, <laughs> no problem. But uh, before we um, wrap, I want to talk about like another cool project that you're working on. Yeah. And that is... The hacking of law enforcement. Video. Yeah, this was the this was the sound heard around the world, or in this case, the trailer heard around the world. It went viral. Like I knew it was going to get a lot of views. I didn't know it would get this many views. What'd you do? Within the first twenty four hours of posting it, it got like twenty seven thousand views. It was insane. It was definitely it definitely received more views than anything i've ever published in ever since starting this so what what i did was we're we i was contacted by law enforcement and i, I can't talk too much about it but law enforcement contacted i won't me. even ask yeah i'm so tempted you don't, you don't to, but want I won't. to know you don't want to know nope. so, la 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 <laughs> It was a different it was a different reason i was contacted by law enforcement for the first time they needed my help um, yeah, I got to sit in the front of the car this time, not the back. Um, and, uh, yeah, big difference. Way to be. Yeah. Best part of the police car to be in is in the front. Um, so, uh, I created this trailer with them. And so law enforcement, not only is permitting this to happen, not only have they asked, asked it to happen, but they're allowing me to film it and we're making it into a documentary style sort of vulnerability research thing. Uh, that's also quasi-documentary. So I created this theatrical trailer because I just love 
I love video production. I don't know what this is, this new, this new part of me that just loves video. I'm really getting into it. And so I made this trailer and I uploaded it to LinkedIn and, and YouTube and it just went viral. Like this is a huge thing. So what it is, is I'm hacking law enforcement vehicles and the vulnerabilities that I'm finding, of course, not only just uh, apply to this particular law enforcement agency, uh, but it also uh, applies to other law enforcement agencies because they typically use the same cars. And so it it really was, and it was neat because the the way I, the, the, the creative direction I went with the trailer was not just to talk about the research, but it was also to talk about my coming up story as a hacker, you know, the original arrest and, you know, my, my journey to here. Um, and it was just, it was a cool, it was a cool trail and it's still getting amazing number of views. So uh, everyone listening, like Google that immediately, mm. like Google that. Yeah, immediately. Go to my YouTube you- channel if you haven't yet subscribed, but it's on my YouTube channel, Alyssa Knight. It's on my, YouTube. um, but I'm going to ask another dumb question. Sure. So, um, since my mind is not uh, that so inclined, why would one want to hack a law enforcement vehicle? You know, it's just because you could say you did it. <laughs> it's bragging rights at cocktail parties. No, um, you know, it's it really, it was, this particular situation was different than others where I approached them and said, let me hack your, you know, let me hack your shit. Yeah. Um, they actually came to me this time and, you know, I, it was a result of what, me was, what were, me. so like, um, they're obvious, they were obviously concerned about something. I'm going sure. to, I'm going to yeah. stick to my promise about not asking too many questions. Yeah. They were obviously concerned about, um, some sort of potential vulnerability. Obviously mm-hmm. that's why they picked up, uh, the phone to contact you. Um, but I think that that's so fascinating in terms of, uh, the comments you made about oftentimes these vehicles are used for multiple purposes and uh, and multiple reasons, and then it starts sort of like starts me thinking about like autonomous vehicles and like the hacking capabilities of of autonomous vehicles and all of these uh, and self driving cars and all of this sure. and all of this other stuff. Um, and it never occurred to me. I'm like, okay, when we talk about that sort of technology, like what about law enforcement vehicles? Yeah. It's sort of sort of a fascinating point um but i mean that's it's and it's you have to think about the fact that these are all multi-use right you have to think about the fact that it's not just this particular law enforcement agency or law enforcement agencies in general but also the military uses these cars you know they're to transport ordnance the the you know that you have all these different people all these different agencies all these different organizations where they're using these vehicles it isn't just jane you know and also jane doe and john doe on main street you know so it's not like automakers are going out of their way to say "Hmm, we need to make a completely different car for law enforcement and right yeah it's the same vehicle we buy it's it's just it's got a light package put on top of it and a cockpit of technology put into the front of it that's it and some plexiglass right um so it's you know, it, one, it's vulnerability spillover, right? You find one vulnerability in one particular use case and it, of course, spills over into other use cases. 
to me, like that perfectly sets up the next episode that we're probably going to do. And we can talk about uh, vulnerabilities of uh, self-driving cars and autonomous vehicles and like how to try to keep yourself safe on the road based on all of the vulnerabilities that Alyssa has found in all of this technology. Um, But Alyssa, thank you so, so much. This was, this was a ton of fun for me. Um, And like Alyssa said, everyone, if you've not checked out and subscribed to her YouTube channel, you absolutely need to do that. Also check out her website. Um, She's super smart. If you're a tech company, if you need uh, if you need someone to like uncover the buried bodies and like figure out where y'all are vulnerable, she'd be the first person that I'd call. Oh, uh, thank you, dear. So, um, and also, um, she's a she and she has purple hair and yes. like, that's amazing and much respect. Um, so Alyssa, until next time, you're absolutely coming back. I will not, I will not Aww. take no for an answer. Regular guest. I will be a regular guest. Thank you. Yes. Dear. Regular guest. Um, and then maybe next time my hair will also be purple. Ooh, we could be we twinsies. Can, we can, we can totally figure that out, but thank you once again. Um, and until next time, everyone. Thank you.